Good evening, listeners, and welcome back to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden, and on this show, we use short stories to examine life's curious rituals and strange beliefs. Today, we turn our attention from our earthly superstitions and look to the sky, specifically the night sky, because in this episode, we're discussing the full moon. Have you ever heard the word moonstruck? I bet you have. But I'm not talking about the 1987 romantic comedy starring Cher and Nicolas Cage. The term I'm referring to comes from the idea that the full moon changes one's behavior, makes us irrational and bewildered, or moony, you might say. The belief that the cosmos affects our lives is ancient. From the Mayans to the Babylonians, our ancestors looked to the sky to explain all kinds of things, and some of these beliefs have stuck around. Today, astrology is a multi-billion dollar industry. There, the moon is a vital cosmic force influencing our day-to-day -day lives. But it's not just astrologers and New Age mystics who believe lunar phases affect our behavior. So do cops, firefighters, and even doctors. Many of the world's most rational people subscribe to the belief that under the light of the full moon, men go mad. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. Coming up, we head to the ER for a very peculiar night shift. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. As the sun set over St. Joseph Hospital, ER charge nurse Kim Davis strode through the halls, her crisp white tennis shoes echoing against the linoleum. It was nearly the start of the night shift, and not a single one of her staff was on the floor. In her book, if you weren't briefing charts five minutes before, you were already late. The ER was a bit empty, but it was a Friday night. It was only a matter of time before they were inundated with drunken teenagers. As she expected, she found everyone mingling in the staff lounge, mostly gathered around the TV, chatting excitedly with Peter, the new neurology specialist. Kim rolled her eyes. She should have known. In the past few months, Peter had been distracting her staff with his tall frame and boyish grin. He was exactly the kind of doctor Kim hated. An Ivy League grad, all talk, zero practicality. 
Last week, he got puked on by a concussion patient and insisted on taking a full shower. You could graduate top of your class, but if you couldn't handle vomit, you were useless in the ER. Kim pulled Peter aside. If you don't mind, Dr. Park, I need you to release my nurses from your charms. We've got work to do. Peter grinned, embarrassed, and adjusted his wireframe glasses. Sorry, Kim. Not trying to hold up your team. I just couldn't help but talk everyone's ear off about this thing. Peter pointed to the television. A news anchor stood in front of a massive red-blue moon. He continued, I'm a bit of an astronomy nerd, and this moon is incredibly rare. Only occurs once every 256 years, and it's happening tonight. If I wasn't stuck in imaging, I'd love to see it, Peter added, sighing. You wouldn't if you knew what they say about full moons. Kim turned around to see Donna, the night janitor, standing in the doorway, mop in hand, and her frizzy grey hair illuminated by the fluorescence. No dark. A full moon ain't nothing to be happy about. Everyone knows. Police, paramedics, on a full moon, things get strange. And then, those super moons. <sighs> Here, Donna visibly shuddered. Kim raised an eyebrow as she continued. In 91, I worked the night shift on one of those moons. Ooh, I'll never forget it. We had gunshot wounds, animal bites, car accidents, everything. I still hear the screaming. And the blood, oh, the blood. Fifteen nurses and doctors went in that night. But the next day, only seven were left. An eerie silence gripped the room. Peter spoke up, hesitant. Did, did they die? Donna shook her head. No, they quit. Couldn't take the heat. Kim spoke above the murmurs. Okay, enough. Moons don't create ER disasters any more than they turn people into werewolves. That's just some myth they tell you in nursing school. Now, it's 7.05, people. Get moving. With that, the nurses filed out. Kim made her way to the registration desk. Theo, the young ER receptionist, smiled as she approached. The overhead lights glinted off his silver braces. Kimmy, I was wondering when you come visit me. I've been dying of boredom over here. Kim picked up a clipboard of patient info, shaking her head. Blame that lanky neurologist for holding me up. Now, what have we got? Theo shrugged. Not much. It's been so slow. I've got concussions, a first-degree burn. Oh, and guess who's back? He nodded to the left. There, a woman with a vibrant red perm sat impatiently with an eight-year-old girl in cowboy boots. Maisie was her name. Her mum, April, brought her in every three weeks like clockwork, each time claiming some illness with symptoms stranger than the last. This time, she claimed Maisie couldn't feel her hands. Theo looked at Kim sympathetic. They'd been here a while, he explained, but he could always wait until one of the doctors was free. Kim sighed. No, I'll see her myself. Send them to Bay 4 in 10 minutes. Kim stepped into patient Bay 4 and closed the door. Inside, Maisie sat on the exam table, her candy red cowboy boots dangling off the edge. Her mother, April, sat in a chair by the window. She turned to Kim. 
We've been waiting almost two hours to be seen. It's unacceptable. My daughter's health is on the line. Kim didn't bat an eye. And so is every other patient, Miss Green. This is a hospital, not a restaurant. We prioritize patients by severity. Kim ignored her and turned to Maisie. It's good to see you, sweetie. How'd that spelling bee go you were nervous about? Maisie grinned, revealing a few missing baby teeth. I got second place! Wow! Kim exclaimed. You gotta be a kid genius! What word got ya? Maisie rolled her eyes. Lunatic! But I can spell it forwards and backwards now. L-U-N-A. Before Maisie could finish, the bayroom door opened. Peter stood in the doorway, his white lab coat freshly ironed. He flashed his annoying grin. Well, hello there. I'm Dr. Park, the neurology physician. I hear we have a patient experiencing some neuropathy. Kim introduced Peter to Maisie, then reluctantly stepped aside. Peter pulled on a pair of gloves and took Maisie's small hands in his, asking her if she could feel anything. Maisie's eyes darted to April before shaking her head. Peter sighed. Hmm. Well, her tendons seem to be fine, but I'd like to do a pinprick test. Maisie looked at him curiously and asked what he meant. It's a gross test for sensory function. I'll take a sharp needle and poke it into your hands and you tell me if it hurts, okay? With that, Peter opened the drawer beside him and removed a very pointy-looking needle. Maisie's eyes went wide with fear. She looked to Kim, pleading. Kim turned to the doctor. Doctor, a moment please. Peter set the needle down and looked at her, confused. Kim ushered him out of the room and into the hallway. You are not poking a single needle into that child, you hear me? I don't care what she says, she's not sick. Peter crossed his arms. An eight-year-old with neuropathy can be a sign of something very serious, Kim. Diabetes, cancer, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Kim leaned in, keeping her voice low. Let me give you the gist, doctor. You may know neurology, but I know my patients. And I'm telling you, the woman in there is a hypochondriac. I don't need some overrated Ivy League doctorate to know that this is textbook Munchausen by proxy. The only thing wrong with that child is her mother. Kim and Peter whipped around as commotion came from inside the hospital room. Then, Maisie screamed. Adrenaline rushed through Kim as she raced into the room with Peter. Inside, April loomed over Maisie, holding the needle Peter had had moments before. Maisie pleaded, Stop, Mama! Please! You're scaring me! April's voice was sharp. You're sick! But Mummy's going to fix you! Hold still! Kim threw herself in front of Maisie. Peter grabbed April and yelled for security. An orderly rushed in and dragged April into the hall. She thrashed, screaming bloody murder. Then she bit him. The orderly yelped. April slipped through his arms and sprinted down the hall, laughing. The orderly stood stunned before running after her. Kim kneeled down in front of a terrified Maisie. Sweetie, you're okay. You're safe here. Tell me, what happened? Maisie's words came out in panicked sobs. She, she just opened the window to look at the moon and then her eyes got big and, and then she got scary. 
Kim pulled Maisie into her arms and looked at Peter, but Peter's gaze was fixed to the television in the corner. The local news played on mute. Footage of overturned cars, smashed storefronts, and a city bus engulfed in flames flashed across the screen. At the bottom, the scrolling banner read, Large-scale violence and hysteria break out across the state. Cause remains unknown. Oh my god, Kim whispered. All of those victims are going to come here. She shouted at Peter, Stay with Maisie, then rushed toward reception and almost ran into Theo. He took Kim by the shoulders. Thank God you're here. I need all the staff you have on standby now. I'm drowning in intakes. Kim turned to the lobby. The room was almost empty minutes ago, but now it was teeming with patients. Then, out of the corner of her eye, Kim saw something move. She turned to look out the large window. A dozen people were running to a parked ambulance. They surrounded it and started pushing the sides, rocking it back and forth. Before Kim could yell for security, they toppled the vehicle over. The people in the waiting room turned and stared aghast. A handful rushed over to the window for a better look. Then, slowly, more and more joined, drawn to the destruction outside. Kim watched as they stood by the glass. The huge, blood-red moon loomed overhead, bathing them in the moonlight. They stood with their backs to her, gasping and exclaiming. Then, they went quiet. Kim turned to look at Theo, wondering what was going on. But he was still staring wide-eyed at the crowd. They had all gone perfectly still, almost as if they had stopped breathing. Slowly, they turned. Kim froze. The eyes of everyone in the crowd were dilated. Huge, dark pupils stretching until there was barely any white left. Like sharks. They stared at Kim. Then, all at once, they charged. Coming up, the hospital descends into full moon madness. This is Storybooth Daily. Tune into this new podcast for your daily fix of real-life stories from real people around the world. We've received thousands of stories that we want to share with you, from talking about being ghosted or realizing that being popular isn't all that great sometimes. No topic is off the table. This is a podcast that's not only for you, but by you. Storybooth Daily premieres November 8th, so be sure to check us out Monday through Friday. Storybooth Daily is a wheelhouse and Spotify original from Parcast. Now, back to the story. The crowd of waiting room patients surged toward Kim and Theo, backlit by the massive red moon. Theo's hands flew to dial security, but Kim was frozen. Her mind reeled, struggling to comprehend what was happening. It made no sense. Just then, an old man howled and threw a chair into a glass display case. It was enough to shake her from her daze. She grabbed Theo's arm. We need to go, now! But as soon as they took a step, a woman lunged at Theo, pulling him over the reception desk. Without thinking, Kim grabbed his legs. She tried with everything she had to pull him back. Theo looked at her, his braces-filled mouth open in terror. The mob was feet away now, but she couldn't bring herself to let go. Then, her grip slipped, and suddenly, she was left holding nothing 
but his knee on Crocs. Kim's stomach dropped as the mob pulled Theo screaming into the chaos, passing him off like a crowd surfer at some sadistic rock concert. Kim tore her gaze away and sprinted for the doors of the ER. She could hear the mob cackling and shrieking behind her, but she didn't dare turn around. She reached for the door and slipped inside, slamming and locking it behind her. Seconds later, bodies slammed into the other side. The door shook. She heard shrieking. Kim backed away in horror and bumped into Peter. Peter held Maisie's hand and stared at the door, stunned. Kim turned to him. Don't just stand there. Help me barricade it. Peter helped Kim push a gurney in front of the double doors. Then another. Donna wheeled up behind them and hauled her janitor's cart onto the pile. Won't be needing that anymore, Donna said grimly. Kim turned to see Maisie still staring at the shaking double doors. She looked up at Kim with terrified eyes. What's wrong with everyone? Kim took her hand. We have to call the police, said Peter. Donna shook her head. The police can't do nothing. Our only option is to wait it out until sunrise. Wait what out? Kim said sharply. Donna looked at her. The full moon. The suggestion was so ridiculous Kim almost laughed. Before she could respond, there was a deafening crash. The double doors bent as the mob drove a battering ram into the other side. Kim and the others abandoned the door and bolted down the ER hallway. Peter pulled Maisie behind him, her red cowboy boots clacking on the linoleum. On the west side of the hall, shafts of moonlight shone through the windows. Donna shouted for them to stay out of the light. Before Kim could argue, something burst out of the storage closet. Maisie shrieked. It was just the anesthesiologist, his neat comb-over now a wild mess. Kim, Peter, oh thank God you're here. I've been hiding in there waiting for... Suddenly, he was knocked onto a racing gurney, pushed down the hall by a nude man in a surgeon's cap. Kim stood, mouth open in shock. The anesthesiologist was wheeled underneath a large skylight. He laid on the gurney, illuminated by the orange-red glow of the moon above, almost as if he was spotlit on a stage. Kim pulled Maisie to her, shielding her from the sight. Peter started toward him, but Donna grabbed his arm. It's too late, Doc. You'll see. Kim watched in horror as the anesthesiologist thrashed and hollered underneath the naked man's grip, his shrieks mixing with the cacophony of the battering ram down the hall. Then, all at once, it stopped. The anesthesiologist went rigid. His eyes went wide, mouth open. Maisie wriggled from Kim's arms, looked at the scene and froze, her own eyes huge with terror. The anesthesiologist and the naked man turned and stared, their pupils as large as the people in the waiting room. Kim froze. She didn't know what was happening to the doctor, but something told her she should not move. Down the hall, the double doors to reception finally gave way. Donna screamed. Run! Peter scooped up Maisie and the three adults sprinted down the hall. Kim shouted, asking where they were going. 
Donna shouted back that they needed to find a windowless room, somewhere the moonlight couldn't get in. The imaging room! Peter screamed. He ran to the front of the pack, still carrying Maisie. But there, at the end of the hall, standing right in front of the imaging room, was Maisie's mother, April. Kim, Peter and Donna slowed to a stop. April tilted her red-permed head and smiled. There you are, Maisie. Now we can finally fix you. She held up a scalpel, moonlight gleaming off the blade, and lunged. Maisie screamed, but Peter lurched to the side, dodging April. Behind them, Kim could hear the mob growing closer. Without thinking, she took off one of her white shoes and threw it at April, striking her in the chest. April turned to Kim, eyes narrowed. You, you took my little girl. She lunged again, but Kim sidestepped, sending April tumbling to the floor. Kim sprinted after Peter and Maisie for the imaging room and slipped inside. But just as Donna reached the door, April grabbed her foot, sending the older woman tumbling. Donna hollered as April dragged her in the direction of a window. Kim was flooded with panic. She didn't want to see another one of her colleagues turn. But as April pulled Donna into the moonlight, Donna reached up and punched her. Donna scrambled to her feet and ran for the door, rushing inside just in time for Kim to shut it, leaving one of her sneakers. Dozens of people slammed themselves against the closed door. Donna gasped. How do we know they won't get in? Peter sat on the MRI machine. Believe me, it's like Fort Knox in here. The whole room is enforced with concrete. Unless they drive a bulldozer through that wall, nothing's getting in. Just then, tiny whimpers came from the other end of the room. Kim turned around to see Maisie trembling in her little red cowboy boots, crying. What's wrong with my mum? What happened to her? She wailed. Kim's heart sank. She crouched down and held Maisie. Your mum is... She's just sick, that's all. She'll get better. Maisie's eyes searched Kim's. You're lying to me. Everyone's always lying to me. My mum tells me I'm sick and I know I'm not. And now you're telling me she's sick. Kim took a breath. Okay, Maisie. You're right. I'm sorry I lied to you. I will never lie to you again, okay? Maisie searched Kim's face, then nodded. Kim continued. The truth is, we don't really know what's happening. Donna interrupted. We know exactly what's going on. I told you, when the full moon is out, it does something to people. And this is no ordinary full moon. For the first time, Kim was at a loss for words. She wanted to deny it, but she couldn't. Peter stepped in. You know, there is some basis for all of this. He adjusted his glasses nervously and lowered his voice. It's no peer-reviewed study, but during my second year at Columbia, my mentor found the full moon affects people's sleep, even their cardiovascular function. Truly fascinating stuff. Kim turned to him. Did your mentor also find that it makes people lose their minds and turn into violent wackadoodles? She stopped suddenly. Across the room, Donna was pacing, visibly agitated. 
They're not losing their minds. They're finding them. It's unleashed something in us that's wild and raw and real. Kim looked at Peter, then at Donna. Donna? What do you mean, us? Donna stopped pacing and stared at her. Us? We know the truth, Kim. Just because you can't smother it with your logic doesn't mean it's not happening. Donna took a step under the fluorescent lights. Her eyes were steadily dilating. Maybe the moon is just bringing out the truth in us. The beautiful part we've had to hide all our lives. Which is why we should start young. Donna's eyes darted to Maisie cowering behind Kim. Then she lunged. Donna snatched Maisie by the shoulder and dragged her toward the door. Cold panic shot through Kim. She dove, grabbing Maisie's leg. Donna, don't! Don't open the door! But her hand was already turning the handle. She opened the door to the hall and stood in the doorway, the moonlight illuminating her like some sadistic angel. Her grey hair was wild, her dilated eyes deranged. Then there was a flash of silver. Peter swung a metal exam stool into Donna's chest, shoving her into the hall. Donna dropped Maisie's arm and crumpled, wailing. Peter slammed the door. Kim caught her breath, still lacking one shoe and with adrenaline coursing through her veins. She looked at Peter, standing against the door, shell-shocked, his glasses askew. The sight of him looking so unruffled made Kim want to laugh. Then she saw Maisie. The girl's eyes were wide with panic, her chest heaving. Peter! Kim yelled. She's having an asthma attack. Peter rushed over as Kim sat Maisie up against a wall. Maisie needed an inhaler, Kim said. The pharmacy was on the other side of the hospital, but they had no choice. One of them had to leave, or else she wasn't going to make it. Kim looked at Maisie, wheezing in the corner. I'll go, she said. Peter started to disagree, but Kim stopped him short. I know the route a lot better than you do. I know where the windows are, where to hide. She held Maisie's hands. Be strong, baby. Keep breathing. I'll be back soon. Kim then picked up the stool, took a deep breath, and slipped out the door. To her surprise, the hallway was empty. Papers and equipment were scattered across the floor, but there wasn't a soul in sight. She grabbed her missing shoe and slipped it back on, then walked quietly around a shaft of moonlight, still holding the stool. She made her way past the nurse's station and froze. On the other side of the desk, facing the window, was Donna. She stood with her back turned, her frizzy grey hair wild as she cheerfully hummed Van Morrison's moon dance. She shimmied and swayed in the red-orange glow of the supermoon as if in some kind of trance. Kim tiptoed past the station, sidestepping shafts of moonlight. Maybe this was going to be easier than she thought. Maybe all their violence had just worn off. Just then, Kim stopped in her tracks. Coming from the staff lounge, she heard what sounded like a party. Holding the metal stool defensively, she leaned forward to peek through the open doorway. Inside, the staff lounge was covered in blood. 
It coated the floor and splattered the walls. Just then, the anesthesiologist dove into a puddle, sliding on the blood-slicked tile like a horrific slip-and-slide. Theo stepped into view, cackling, and picked something up. A blood bag. He slashed open the plastic, letting the contents gush onto the floor. Kim ducked out of the doorway and flattened herself against the wall. She was dead wrong. Things had only gotten stranger. God knows what she'd find on the other side of the hospital. Kim continued down the hall, trying to focus on keeping as quiet as possible. But her body buzzed with anxiety. The hallway seemed to stretch for an eternity. Get it together, Kim, she thought. For Maisie. Finally, Kim came to the pharmacy and slid over the counter. After a minute of rummaging through medications, she found the right inhaler, the last one in stock. She grabbed it, triumphant, and turned around. Standing in front of her was April. The corners of her mouth curled into a deranged smile. I told you she was sick. I'm her mother, Kimberly. I always know best, she sneered. April snatched the inhaler from Kim's hands and leapt onto the countertop. Give it back, April, Kim pleaded. She could die. April just smiled, stepping into a large shaft of moonlight. She beckoned Kim with a curled finger. You really care about Maisie? Then prove it. Come, take it from me. Kim's heart pounded in her ears. She didn't want to lose control. What's wrong, Kimberly? April cooed. Are you afraid? You know, maybe you'll like it. Or maybe that's what really terrifies you. That underneath it all, you're just a lunatic like the rest of us. Kim's mind snapped to attention. Lunatic? The word that lost Maisie the spelling bee. She saw Maisie's beaming gap-tooth smile. Then she saw her gasping for breath, her eyes wide with fear. There was no time to think things through. Maisie needed her. Kim ran into the moonlight and grabbed the inhaler. Kim sprinted down the hall, trying to outpace whatever madness was about to take hold. As she raced through the hospital, her body started to tingle. She felt lighter, as if she'd swallowed helium. Kim shook her head, trying to concentrate. She had to focus on getting to Maisie. But as she watched the blur of her white sneakers hitting the floor, then fall off, disappearing entirely, everything began to change. The speckled linoleum glittered. Then they peeled off the floor and floated in the air, surrounding her like a galaxy of stars. When she looked around, the shafts of moonlight streaming through the windows undulated and swirled like water. Kim felt her eyes go wide. The corners of her lips curled into a smile. Every cell in her body screamed at her to touch the light, to bathe in it. But a small, persistent voice called out from the back of her mind. Maisie, it said. Get to Maisie. Kim floated to the imaging room. She was so close, so close. Then she was there. Kim 
pounded on the door, calling Peter's name. The door opened. Kim, he said, relieved. Oh, thank God. Come in, quick. But Kim's body was humming. Then she was actually humming. She knew she shouldn't go inside. So she threw the inhaler at Peter and bolted. Kim! He screamed after her. But she had already pushed open the exit door. It was time to greet the moon. Kim rushed out into the night and breathed in. She thought the air would be fresh, but all she smelled was smoke. Around her, multiple car pileups clogged the streets. People screamed and sang and cried amidst fire and chaos. But Kim didn't mind. Across the street, a woman was paddling a kayak in a city fountain. Kim waved. Then she lay down in a patch of moonlit grass and sighed, moving her limbs back and forth like she was making a snow angel. And then, dawn began to break. It was subtle at first, the black sky turning a deep blue-purple, like a bruise. Kim watched sadly as the giant red moon grew further and dimmer, as if being driven away by the sun. Tears sprang to her eyes, wondering where it was going. Slowly, the chaos began to hush. As the screaming and singing and crying faded, and the frantic bodies around her slowed, Kim sat up. She blinked, taking in her surroundings with new eyes. Just as the sun shined a brilliant pink on the horizon, Kim saw Peter and Maisie rushing out of the hospital doors, and it all came back to her. Kim! Maisie shrieked, then flung herself into her arms. Where did you go? Kim held her tight. Just a little trip to the stars, but I'm back now. Don't worry. Kim looked at Peter. Tears of relief were welling in his eyes. Come on now, Dr. Park, she grinned. Don't go soft on me. We have survivors to care for. With that, Kim, Peter, and Maisie walked hand in hand through the wreckage when they came upon an abandoned ambulance. A radio broadcast blared from the cabin. Experts suspect last night's chaos was caused by the super blue blood moon which began yesterday evening. Peter turned to Kim. Donna was right after all, he said. But then, the broadcast said something that made them freeze in their tracks. Researchers are concerned about the effects of a second supermoon predicted to occur in just three months. Kim looked at Peter. We're going to need to hire more staff. The moon has been thought to influence our behavior for centuries. From as early as 400 BCE, our ancestors looked to the sky to understand our actions on Earth. The pull of a full moon was believed to have the greatest impact, not on our creativity or our energy, but our sanity. Take the word lunatic, which comes from the Latin lunaticus or moonstruck. The idea of full moon madness is embedded in our very language and was believed in by great philosophers from Aristotle to Pliny the Elder. Hippocrates once said, no physician should be entrusted with the treatment of disease who was ignorant of the science of astronomy. 
so it's probably not surprising that this superstition made its way into modern medicine. In 2011, a study published by the World Journal of Surgery reported over 40% of medical staff thought human behavior was affected by lunar phases. Another study revealed up to 81% of mental health professionals did too. And many cops, firefighters, and other emergency personnel agree when the moon is full, people get strange. According to these professionals, there are more assaults, suicides, traffic accidents, and admissions to the ER and psychiatric wards during full moons than other parts of the lunar cycle. Some places even schedule more staff in anticipation of the mayhem. But evidence to support the belief is harder to come by. Multiple studies done on the subject have found the theory anecdotal at best. But that doesn't mean that researchers haven't found other connections. There is some evidence to suggest that the full moon affects our sleep, our heart rate, and blood pressure. One study found that during new and full moon phases, humans were more physically efficient. Another found people with rapid cycling bipolar disorder may even be more likely to shift from depression to mania along a lunar cycle. Whether you believe in full moon madness or not is up to you. But as you ponder all of this, let me leave you with a warning. If you're listening to this episode the day it's released, then you should know that the next full moon is just two days away. So, will you lock your doors or will you embrace the madness? Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. We will be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Superstitions was written by Alex Garland, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemec and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. This is Story Booth Daily. Tune into this new podcast for your daily fix of real-life stories from people around the world. Story Booth Daily premieres Monday, November 8th on Spotify. Story Booth Daily is a wheelhouse and Spotify original from Parcast.